Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving in a hotel room in London. And these two are Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell, still inside Old Trafford. The scene of Manchester United's exit from the Champions League. A 1-0 defeat against Atletico Madrid. Enough to knock United out of Europe and end their hopes of silverware for this season. I feel deflated, lads. Andy, you look especially deflated, I would say. I am. I need to grow up of this. I feel like I did when Atletico knocked United out in 1991 and I've, I've not grown up and I feel gutted. I think it was predictable, unfortunately. And The fourth best team in Spain beat the fifth best team in England. I don't think United deserved to go through after that. Didn't play well in the first leg and struggled to land a punch on Atletico here at Old Trafford tonight. It was a horrible game tonight, I didn't enjoy it. It was a proper Simeone game. He's just walked past me now, I was dying to say something to him. He was with Griezmann. Griezmann looks about six in real life. And um don't think the referee did United any favours, but nah. Am I stunned? Have I sounded stunned in the last few podcasts when I've talked about this game? No. Nah, it's been it's been no. coming. No. And I think that's what makes it the more deflating as well. You sort of the sense that it, it was coming, and it's not really a surprise how this second leg has gone, Laurie. I, I guess it's a hugely disappointing result for United, but not necessarily a surprising one. No, we were just talking about it then in the press room. Um, they've won two knockout games since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Um, you know, and I think you can I think actually even dating back further than that since they last made the final in the competition. So, you know, PS That's right. Twenty yeah, PSG yeah. and uh, Olympiacos. So t- t- They've only actually beaten Olympiacos in a knockout tie in the Champions League at Old Trafford since they last reached the final. That you know, and that's eleven years so, ago so, now. So this is normal. This this isn't like an aberration. This isn't like we're stunned United have gone out of Europe at home to Atletico Madrid. This is kind of what you'd expect, really. But it doesn't make it any less painful, and it doesn't make it any less frustrating, given the amount of money that's been spent, the amount of managers and players that they've tried. Um, but I think United lost their way. I actually thought the first half was was kind of positive wasn't it I think the atmosphere was up the, the energy was there that the kind of tempo was there they, they weren't letting Atletico Madrid settle create some good chances clearly that one for Alanga with uh, it hits Oblak right in the face if that goes either side of him it's 1-0 and it's a, it's a different game I think if you concede first to Atletico Madrid as Ralph Ranić said then they know how to grind that out the referee obviously made it uh, easier for them as, as Ranić again was um, at pains to say after the game, he certainly was not shy about pointing the finger at the officials, which I think he's he's got you know cause to. But the reason why Manchester United went out of that tie wasn't because of the officials; it was because of a really poor performance over in Madrid, and then a, a naive, sort of disjointed, uncertain finish in the second half. I mean, 
I was just saying to Andy then, um, before coming up these steps to avoid the interference on the mics, we're sort of like a few rows. They've been split up I these know, two, yeah, haven't they? Best mates. Wanted to stay on the same row as him. Yeah, I wanted to give him a nice hug and, and try and say all, everything will be okay. Um, you can hold hands throughout <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> no. I'm, just, I'm just looking down on him now from about 20 rows behind. But it was actually more the, the second half performance and how it, it just... It, I can't understand how you finish a, finish a game with one matter when... He's played 172 minutes of football before this point. And this isn't to criticise Juan Mata. He's obviously a very good footballer, really good guy. But he was, he's was he been warming up the players, basically, for, for most of the season in the warm-up, you know, with the, the shots that they have into the goal. Um, and then he's trusted with you know, a very crucial moment in, in the season, the, the most crucial moment in the season. Um, I don't get that. I, d- I don't understand how you can judge a player every single week that he shouldn't be part of the team and he shouldn't be brought on week after week and then you get to a moment like this and one matter is the player that you turn to and it wasn't even the first change was it it was after he'd tweaked and and tried to change things already to that point i mean it's almost like bringing on nick powell andy wasn't it it's not far off is it yeah remember nick powell coming on um it was for matter actually wasn't it um yeah yeah there's history for you one matter is a very different person to, to nick powell i think can't see him playing at Stoke next anyway <laughs> he, 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 this is a mad tangent but he was man of the match against Stoke for United behind closed doors early this season but we'll get him <laughs> okay. wayward, proper wayward here uh, it, I think Mata came on because if he does anything well he finds spaces he finds pockets of spaces United were not doing that there was a lot of bluster Atletico's hallmark of the last decade really has been their well organised defence which has been less well organised this season it was a war of attrition there, and Simeone likes some type of games. You saw how animated he was. I thought the Atletico fans were really loud again tonight, but it's just same old. And United tried with the with the lineup. I thought it was I thought it was probably the right the right lineup to go at them. I thought United did all right in the first half, but there was always a danger that Atletico could cut United up with. Four or five passes. They did that twice in the first half. Once led to the goal. Once led to the uh, the offside, offside goal. goal. And yeah. their goal was a good goal. I asked the man next to me. I said, "Should the goalkeeper have saved that?" And he went, "No, nah, it was a good header." The only reason I'm repeating this because the man next to me was Peter <laughs> Schmeichel. <laughs> and who was on the other side of you, Andy? Gary Neville. <laughs> a rose between two thorns. Yeah, eh? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Beauty and the Beasts. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'll ask you two about the starting lineup in a minute, but just just to stay on the changes for a little bit longer, Laurie, if we can. Obviously, we've spoken about one matter, but the number of changes, obviously, there's five subs allowed in the Champions League, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to make them, does it? I, I wasn't sure exactly whether United look better for bringing on Pogba, for bringing on Cavani, for bringing on Rashford than they did previous to that, really. No, it, it did feel a little bit like making substitutions for substitution's sake. You know, three at once, obviously, so that they could then make another one and another one, you know, in terms of the three different uh, opportunities to make substitutions. But it, it felt yeah. it felt too much too soon. It wasn't like United were, you know, getting desperate necessarily. You know, I thought Scott McTominay was having a really good game. He came off. Um, obviously, Bruno Fernandes, you know, perhaps has had COVID, so maybe he will have fatigued. Um, but he's your most creative player. You know, he's had the most assists in the Champions League for United this season. Um, so to take him off, 
you know, it just seemed a little bit counterintuitive. Um, I know Paul Pogba was coming on and he perhaps looks after the ball a little bit better. And, and my point about Juan Mata isn't to say, I, I get what, I mean, I totally agree with what Andy's saying there. He picks passes in those tight spaces and perhaps that's what it needed in that moment. But it's kind of bizarre that you've got a squad that Manchester United have got and then in the moment of the most pivotal point, you turn into a guy that is basically on the periphery and hasn't hasn't played at all. Um, and you had quite a few with players like that. You, so Juan Mata's out of contract at the end of the season. Paul Pogba's out of contract at the end of the season. Edison Gavani's out of contract at the end of the season. Nemanja Matic, Nemanja Matic. He's, he's got another year added on, but he's you know he could go at the end of the season. It's a lot of players you're asking to produce in this moment, and it's they're they're in a state of flux, and and they haven't really been a team like that before, have they? The the, the, the team that finished that game is not a team that you go that's that's the best team. They they should be winning us that match. And I know. Well, I don't, I don't know what the shape or formation was at the end of that game to be honest yeah. because they lost all sense of structure and cohesion when the changes were made well, well that's it and I know that listen you might go back to 99 final and you've got you know Teddy Sheringham on and, and you know uh, Dwight York and, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Andy Cole's on the bench yeah, but, that, but they'd all but played if they got a goal, it's, yeah they played together if as well if you've got a goal it's going to extra time and then and then then what's going to happen is Matter going to centre half to play alongside Rafael Varane. I mean, I turned to a mate. I was sat in O'Neill's in uh, in Kingston in London, not at Old Trafford, unfortunately. Uh, not quite as good to watch the game there, to be fair. But I said, "What's going to happen here if we go to extra time? Who's who's going to play where? How, how are they going to get through half an hour?" You know, it's all right getting to extra time. I, I think if they would have played another half an hour in, we wouldn't have scored. I think it was one of them no. games. I really do. I just think he 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 was just trying any last roll of the dice and nothing was working and when the substitutes came on they didn't really have that much of, of an impact and I, I never thought the United would win this competition I know we had a laugh and a joke about drinking Amaretto in St Petersburg and Paris and all that but still feels horrible when it happens and I'm not convinced United will make the top four and I can almost live with that what I can't live with I can't see how it's getting better I can't see light at the end of the tunnel I can't see a crop of brilliant youngsters about to emerge I, I can't see a manager uh, or the decision being made about a manager who's going to turn things I can just see same old same old all the time uh, while our biggest rivals cancer off into the sunset winning everything despite Manchester United spending more money on players than them or at least the same amount and that's probably what hurt, hurts more than anything Okay, before we go any deeper into the future of United and where we go from here, let's get some reaction from the United camp. This is the goalkeeper, David De Gea, speaking after United's defeat to Atletico. They were really disappointed with the with the result. Uh, well, it's difficult to describe words how we feel now at the moment, uh, but uh, I think we didn't we did not enough in both games to 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 win this both games. We were not at our best, to be honest, but. Yeah, it's a very disappointed day for us. I think they are a team with a lot of experience. Uh, they know how to play those games, Champions League games, tight games. Uh, they scored the goal and it's had a very defensive team. So it was very difficult for us to to create chances. To We don't create many chances. So this is football, this is Champions League and, and we are out of the one of the most important competitions. And so we are really, really sad. It's hard. It's, uh, it's hard for for the club, for for us, for the fans. It's really hard. Uh, this is where we are at the at the moment. Difficult situation, and we need to keep fighting, keep keep trying our best. But to be honest, it's a it's a tough moment again. 
I feel sad. I feel sad. I feel uh, for the fans as well and for everyone. But we are not not good enough. Um, pretty candid, to be fair, from De Gea. Not really sure what else he could say, Laurie, in the circumstances. But good that a Manchester United player was sent up to the press conference and sent in front of cameras to to try and explain and put together some thoughts after that result. Did he speak well, De Gea, from what you saw? I thought so. Um, I think he's he's realised this season that he needs to take on that statesmanship role um, and I think he's done that pretty well. He spoke after Watford, didn't he? I mean, he must be a little bit sick that he keeps having to speak in such low moments and, I mean, he looked distraught in the press conference. You know, he's only a few feet away from us um, and, you know, we asked him about how it feels to be a part of this squad that hasn't won a trophy for five going on six years um, and how can they fix it and, and do they speak you know I asked him do you, do you speak amongst this as players you know how, you know how can you fix this kind of thing because it's, it's a bigger question than really any one person can answer because there seems to be so many questions and so many possible answers and, and none of them easy and he's he kind of puffed out his cheeks and, and, and the one thing that he did say that you know I suppose was a saving grace was you know you listen to the fans tonight and, and how up for it they were and they have been pretty consistent throughout this time you know this fallow period and he said that that was the thing that gave them inspiration that they would return to big trophies because at least they've got a fan base behind them that can support them even in these moments when Juan Mata joined the club in 2014 David De Gea said you won't believe what it's like when we win the league and he told him about Deansgate being full of Manchester United fans and Juan Mata hoped that that day would come and it's not going to come for him and that's pretty sad that Manchester United A have not won the title for so long but B have not even been in a title race by like one week <laughs> a, a, a year and a, a, a month ago and it points to the issues which we've covered so many times on this podcast the, the poor recruitment changes of managers the, the, the individual players and it just feels pretty glum when it happens when we're sitting here after going out again and we've got to watch the um, well first of all I had to watch all the Atletico fans singing away for about half an hour the manager going up to them fist pumping I was just I was just envious because it used to be us looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. But the thing is, Laurie, United now need to get back in this competition, don't they? If they are to attract the best players and the best manager and, and move forward as a club. They need to be in the Champions League again, don't they? Year after year after year. The one thing that you can say about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time in charge, he's been the only manager post-Ferguson who seemed to be able to get United in the competition consistently. Uh, they've got a right job on their hands to get back in it though, aren't they? I mean, people are already saying, will Ronaldo play in this competition again? When will Manchester United be back in it? Big questions and you're right, it's a huge aspect of the shape of the club going forward if they don't make the Champions League because of the finances, because of the signings they can attract. I think the managers that they're after, I think they'll probably still come to the club even in the Europa well, League. Well they're out as well aren't they? Well that's it yeah. you, 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 went and, you went and scrolled and thought okay I'll, I'll go and have a look at who the uh, prospective candidates are doing. Oh yeah, Ajax are out and obviously PSG are already out so <laughs> not great auditions. I think I wrote a piece last week where I was saying United will look at how they cope in the Champions League and you know they've not done any better than Ralph Ranić. so there we are. No. Um, but I mean yeah I, I think there'll still, still be some players that will join whatever you know that, that it's still and still good quality players because it's Manchester United and the finances on offer will be more than they're on at the current club so there is always that caveat um, but I do think it's it's really important to finish in the Champions League and it does show in hindsight that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's achievements were actually pretty good in that sense I know it's a low bar but um, you know to be the only one to do it back to back and, and have it pretty comfortably um, you know certainly in the second season um, I think is you know an achievement of sorts um, and yeah I mean you look at the table now Arsenal one point ahead with three games in hand I know they're not necessarily the easiest of games in hand but they seem in a good moment and you know they, I think they're the favourites aren't they by a, a decent way I mean Ralph Rennick in the press conference just then said they absolutely have to beat Arsenal at the Emirates in April so it's as simple as that really OK let's get some more reaction then from the Manchester United camp once more let's hear from the manager Ralph Rangnick well, I think we played a very good first half, exactly the way that we wanted to play. Um, high energy level, uh, most of the, the game in the first half took place in their half. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't convert that energy into uh, one or two goals. We hit the crossbar, we had another one or two good moments where we could have scored or should have scored, but uh, we didn't. And then conceding that uh, one con counter-attacking goal uh, short before half-time didn't make uh, life any easier for us. And in the second half, it was, it was difficult, I think. Uh, I don't think that the game went for more than three minutes in, 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 a, in a go. It was always interrupted, somebody lying on the floor. I think also some curious refereeing decisions. I wouldn't say in the end uh, that they were decisive, but at least he fell too often for those time-wasting antics and uh, in the end four minutes extra time was just a joke for me but anyway very good first half second half again was uh, difficult to find a rhythm again 
Uh, in total, we were fully aware that it's important against this team that you score the first goal yourself. We still have another nine games to play in, in, in the Premier League uh, and uh, we'll try everything to finish off the season on, on the highest possible level, if possible qualify for Champions League again. We are fully aware that in order to achieve that we need to win most of those nine games. But uh, right now to think about uh, how can we close the gap to the top teams is for me too early. My focus is on finishing on the highest possible level with this team and then there is enough time to speak about other things. Laurie, what did you make then of Ralph's comments post-match? Um, I think he was quite focused on the referee, uh, which I can understand. It must have been quite frustrating. I mean, we saw Darren Fletcher get booked for the um, complaining to the referee when he didn't give stoppage in play for Diogo Dalot you know when he had given stoppage in play for the player with his shin that was hurt which was a crazy decision um, but I did think it was a, a, a kind of moot point really that there was wider issues as to why United went out and, and listen he did say it was a, a you know wasn't the decisive um, aspect to United going out but I, I, on the flip side you saw a Diego Simeone team and listen they're not to everyone's taste the way they play but it gets results it was a team they knew what they were doing and, and yeah it was street wise perhaps you'd say the dark arts but it's got them to two finals previously he's an incredible sight to watch on the touchline he's, he's absolutely veins pumping living every moment and you know at the full time whistle he, he run down the, the tunnel got some cups thrown at him with, with drinks and um, you know it's probably an unsavoury site really unnecessary I think but afterwards yeah. he was asked about it and he basically said nope I didn't know didn't know what was going on I just wanted to get in the dressing room and celebrate with my team so it sort of shows that that's the kind of standard a manager he is you know ignoring that sort of trivial point in his mind and, and listen United could well look at somebody like that um, maybe the fans wouldn't necessarily take to his uh, football style but he, he, he is a hugely credible manager he, he could take on a club the size of Manchester United. I know he's on a lot of money at Atletico Madrid, um, but at the same time, that is the kind of standard of manager that United ought to be going for. I know in reality, maybe it's different, but I think that's what you look at Ralph Ranić, and he didn't come in with the pedigree that you'd expect of a Manchester United manager. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't come in with the pedigree. I know Jose Mourinho did, and it didn't work probably passed his sell-by date it, it would be lovely for United to go and get a manager who can handle this kind of occasion this kind of pressure who's on an upward curve yeah in theory United haven't appointed a permanent manager to lead the club forward since Jose Mourinho considering obviously Solskjaer was given the job initially on an interim basis which was then made permanent after and of course then there's been Michael Carrick for that short period and now Ralph Rangnick Andy I guess the comparison really that Scholes was reflecting on, and Rio Ferdinand to a degree on BT Sport as well, was the idea that Simeone, Atletico is his club. He's been there over a decade. The players on the pitch, he's had a hand in signing. The tactics, the shape of the team, he's had a hand in shaping over the years. He's had time to build up the identity that this team is and the way that they play. Whereas obviously in the other dugout, you've got a man who's only been in the job for a matter of weeks, months, and he's not going to be there much longer. So there couldn't be much more of a contrast between the two managers in that sense, really, no. could there? Simeone took over a club which had been failing, which is a bit like Manchester United now. They were called poopers. Poopers means failing all the time, talking a good story, winning one game, losing the next two matches. And he was 40 years old when he took over at Atletico. So clearly been a top player. He played for them, he'd won the double, he played at Inter against Manchester United and he'd played over 100 games for Argentina. And then, as a manager, he started young and he was at good clubs, big clubs, he worked his way up so that when he took over at Atletico, 
who used to sack the manager every five minutes. He, st he had a decent pedigree, but your central point is right. He shaped the club in his identity, just as Ferguson did, just as Guardiola's doing, just as Jurgen Klopp's doing. He had absolute power. He controlled everything. And he's been very successful, and the club grew with him. They moved to a new stadium. They started landing blows on their great rivals, Real Madrid. Atletico hadn't won a trophy from 96 to 2010. When David De Gea played in that team, with players like Diego Forlan and Sergio Aguero, but they were a selling club then. Manchester United are not even a selling club. So I do think that a, a hungry, determined manager who shapes the club, even a club as big as Manchester United, is the way forward. Who is that manager? And if Scholes is saying it's about a manager and Rio saying it's about a structure, they, they've both got points there because that structure has got to appoint that manager. And it's got to be best in class. Is it best? Are the people at the club at the moment best in class or are they learning on the job? I've got doubts. And who who is the manager to come in and to change everything? I see that Ten Hag, I, I get that. I've said Luis Enrique till I'm blue in the face, but he's going to be really difficult to get. He's actually exactly the type of manager you want. He could galvanise a club like this. He's got the balls, he's played at the huge clubs, he's dealt with the pressure, he's been at Barcelona, he's been at Real Madrid, he's won the treble. And I think United have been quite unlucky with timing, unlucky that when they asked about Guardiola, he'd agreed to go to City, when they asked about Klopp, Van Gaal was in a pretty strong position at Old Trafford. So I think United need a change of fortune in terms of, of the managers. And Jose, as Laurie said, I think he probably brought more optimism as a manager when he came in, someone who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with, with Pep. But that started to come apart after a couple of years as well. And... They get quite close. Ollie got quite close. Josie got quite close. They get that second place finish and the following season it seems to fall apart and I don't know why that happens. Yeah, there's more info on Simeone, of course, Andy, in your piece as well that's on The Athletic at the minute, including some interesting takes in that as well from Gary Neville. Well, Gary played against him and, and managed against him. And I remember when he was managing Valencia against him, the stuff he was telling me, and it made me angry. Um... And I'm like, why don't you do this to him then? Why don't you do that to him? And he went, calm down, Andy, bleeding hell. But Simeone gets under your skin and it's hugely effective. And you hate him, but you want him in your corner. You can see that at the end of the game, Atletico fans were singing, Jolo, 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 Simeone. And, and Gary said, um, at the end of the game, he walked to shake his hand when he was at Valencia. He walked past me, fist pumping and ignored me. I thought, you're a twat, but you're a winning twat. He's unforgiving. The mentality was so driven for his own team that he didn't care for anybody else. He's probably a nice bloke off the pitch, but when his team are on it, he's a brutal operator. I'd love to see him manage a big English club against a Pep or a Klopp, managing the team with the ferocity on the pitch and in the dressing room. Could he be a choice for United? He's loved in Madrid. He's paid a lot of money in Madrid. His whole sort of cultural hinterland has been in the Spanish-speaking world. He's the king of Atletico. You're basically giving that... You would be giving that up to join a club which gets rid of their manager every two years, which doesn't give their manager the power that he would probably want. Even though they said they'd try that with, with David Moyes. And... It would be an awful lot to give up, you know. There's, there's, there's a lifestyle when he, when he's, he's living in a nice city. I think one of these great managers, Manchester United, is still a huge, attractive club. They can still pay the top, top wages, but 
I can't see him coming out of Atletico Madrid at, at the moment. He'd really have to push for that. I remember when Oli, um, Jose was at Real Madrid and he played here. He knocked United out of the Champions League again in 2013. And he was like overly magnanimous. This is a great club. The best team lost tonight. And I'm thinking, you're putting a marker down for the future. Whereas Simeone just comes in, blanks everyone. Yeah, I've done you. See you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, there's a bit of a difference there, isn't there, to be fair? I mean, Laurie, obviously Manchester United now, no silverware to play for. It's going to confirm the club's longest run without a trophy since a nine-year period, I think it was, between 1974 and 1983. Uh, So it's an historic period, really, for United without silverware, especially considering the resources available, the managers they've had, the money that they've had to spend as well during this time. Um, Is the one thing that might come out of this year, the fact that it has been so disappointing for United, early exits now from the Champions League, the League Cup and the FA Cup, an uphill task it seems to get back into the Champions League next year. Is there a sense that there's no sticking plaster on this? It really does need a proper look at, a proper think, a proper change and some proper appointments moving forward. I think that's a really nice way to view things and it could well be right. I'm always hesitant with this club, with the way it's run, that you always think, well, we've been here before, you know. Um, I do think with Richard Arnold as chief executive, he isn't someone who accepts mediocrity in commercial world. So it sounds like he might not accept mediocrity in the football world and wants to know why things have gone wrong and how things can be fixed. Um, Obviously, he's not a football person you know his, his business is in terms of growing sponsorships at Manchester United but if he's got that mentality where he won't accept second best and, and wants real accountability from people that can have an imp- influence on the pitch then I think that's a good thing um, proof is in the pudding though isn't it you know uh, it'll be what signings are made what kind of managers appointed I know there's only a small pool really but as long as there's a, a structure in place that's actually working well for whoever is in charge and they're going out and getting players with speed and the right profile then then yeah it could it, you'd think that this is a real wake up call to show that actually how far united are off it um you know both in the league and in the champions league that they they're nowhere close are they so you know if they if they don't use this as a wake up call then i think the situation's worse than we even thought yeah, could this be a catalyst for change, Andy? There's been sort of newspaper reports over the last few days that Old Trafford could be demolished, all very dramatic. Um, but in terms of a symbol, could this be the moment that United gets demolished and rebuilt, ready for next year? Wishful thinking. I don't think the the club or the stadium is going to be rebuilt uh, that quickly. I think with the um, with with the the stadium. Old Trafford's still a very good stadium. It's tatty. I've written about it. I've been writing about it for seven or eight years saying that redevelopment needs to be done. It needs to be bigger. There's still a huge demand for tickets despite the failings of the club. There's issues with the stadium. The roof comes down in too low. But I'm sitting I'm sitting now and it's beautiful. It's this big red cavity. And I'm a stadium freak. And I travel the world looking at stupid football grounds. And this is not a bad stadium. But it does need considerable investment on it Laurie made a very important point Richard Arnold he's the main man now he's doing a lot behind the scenes to develop his version of what Manchester United should be he's talking to a lot of people he's having meetings and dinners with lots of different people and he's not a football man but I think he could be more assertive than his predecessor 
He's working out of Old Trafford rather than London. He's a tough negotiator, he's a tough operator. I think he'll delegate a lot more, certainly in terms of profile. We saw evidence of that at the quarterly earnings, in terms of different people speaking to the media. And if someone's not achieving, I think he'll ask why. Why? Why are you not bringing me this money in? You know, he's got a lot of people reporting into him. He's got a lot on his plate. And I don't think anything's going to turn around so quickly because City is so well oiled as a footballing operation at the moment. Uh, Liverpool got an excellent manager. Obviously got a very good team there as well. Chelsea, we don't know what's going to happen there. Arsenal's quite interesting because they were under serious pressure to get rid of their manager. I remember at the start of this season in August, an agent called me and said he, he, he was basically looking at putting his manager into Arsenal and he wanted to know if I knew who the current sporting director was because the old one had gone, blah, blah, blah. He said, they're going to get rid of him, aren't they? And I just asked a few questions and got told, nope, nope, no. And that's pretty brave, but it's also vindicated because Arteta seems to be doing a decent uh, job now. I think Richard Arnold will be putting everybody under him under serious pressure uh, but the, the elephants in the room are these players are on absolutely massive contracts with millions of followers on social media and they're just not performing to, to the level of their status and it brings us back to the point you need a really strong manager to galvanise that dressing room because there's some really good players there but they've seldom looked at this season OK, I think that's a good place to leave it, to be fair. Thank you, Andy and Laurie, for being with us uh, from the stadium. It's late now. It's about quarter to midnight uh, on Tuesday night, obviously reflecting on Manchester United's early exit from the Champions League. A hugely disappointing night. Thank you, you guys at home for listening. If you've lasted this long, of course, don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to get all the best Manchester United coverage. Before we go, though, there is a very key, important question that we need answered. Andy Mitten's got a smile on his face and his finger in the air, and I think he's thinking what I'm thinking. Have you spoken to the security guard, and how did his date go? Yes, I have. That was the question I was thinking. I'm smiling for the first time all night, and the date went really well. Excellent. So, is it going to be a number two? Um, I, I think it's looking really promising, and... When I yeah. said to him tonight, what time are you throwing us out? I can see him now. <laughs> there he is. He's over there. He's on the phone. He might be on the phone to her. You on the phone to your date? You on the phone to your date? Not tonight. He's being coy now because he knows he's being recorded. But can I just say publicly, it went well on Saturday. Went really well. Excellent. When's he seen when her again, seen Andy? Her again? That's the only question I'll ask you. Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Okay, a happy ending to okay, a terrible so he's got night. A shoulder to cry on, is he? <laughs> For our favourite Manchester United employee. There is actually one more final, final thing though to discuss because it came. What's that? It came on my match chat, and there's, there's quite a lot of questions about a certain interview that you promised Andy was going to be up by today. It's still not up. People want paying. Lee, Lee Sharp's Lee not Sharp, up. Lee Sharp's yet. still not up. Getting grief for it. People are coming up to me in real life saying, like, where's Lee Sharp? Saying, I had to ring Lee Sharp today and apologise because the interview's not gone up yet. And he'd asked me last week when it was going up, and I said at the weekend, and he's laughing about it. And now, like, people are saying, people think it's been, like, legal or it's been held back because he's said something really controversial. 
poorly. What do you think is going to happen first? Manchester United win a trophy or this Lee Sharp <laughs> thing drops? <laughs> a, source, a source tells me it's out on Friday. So fingers crossed, eh? Right, well, I, I trust your source, but I work my backside off to travel seven hours to see him and to get it delivered to meet give my deadline. Over. You went on the pissing, have you? Don't give me that. You're right as well, but it did take me seven hours to get there. Yeah, well, I'm guessing it was worth it. And one day, eventually, we will see the fruits of that labour. Uh, Andy's nodding because he's about to get chucked out of all Yeah, we're about again to get thrown out For again. the second time this week. Um, but yeah, I hope we put a smile on your face anyway at the end of what was quite a depressing podcast at times. But thank you for your company, Andy, Laurie. Cheers to you two as well. Manchester United don't play again incredibly for two and a half weeks. So we've got two and a half weeks to wallow on this result. But don't worry, Talk of the Devils will be a shoulder to cry on. We'll be here of course, next week, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. The Athletic.